This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Skip all the ads by searching The Murder Diaries ad-free in Spotify or subscribing on Apple or Patreon. Links are in the show notes and our bio on Instagram. Welcome to The Murder Diaries. I'm Natalie. And I'm Paige. Not much happens in a town like Comanche. It's a crossroads community on the rolling prairie land of a quiet corner of southwestern Oklahoma. With a population of around 2,000, today Comanche is considered quintessential small-town living. In the early 20th century, it was a booming cattle town with oil derricks and ranches springing up on the horizon like beacons of prosperity to come. And for a while, during its death-swept infancy, luck was with Comanche, until it wasn't. Like all oil towns going bust way back then, the fortune seekers grew impatient with their prospects and moved on to more promising places. Decades crawled by, and during the 1980s, Comanche was all but forgotten, little more than a one-stoplight town on the way to somewhere else. And in the early summer of 1988, it became infamous, home to a brutal, unspeakable murder, one unlike any crime that has happened in Comanche before or since. When someone's knife fell on 25-year-old Mary Pewitt more than 30 times in her own home and in her own bed. Mary was a complex person with a complicated life. A single mother of two young daughters. A hardworking woman who never gave up on trying to make ends meet. And a person who was just beginning to put some of life's broken pieces back together. Her daughter Kira remembers Mary trying to make a fresh start during that time. My mom had kind of was done with the partying atmosphere of her life. And it just seemed like she was on a new path to try to better herself. But on June 4th, 1988, in the dead of night, one savage act of rage would cut short Mary Pewitt's young life forever. This is her story. You still think it's in my head. I'm walking with the dead. Part tomboy, part approachable beauty. Mary Pewitt is remembered by those who knew her best as playfully flirtatious and headstrong. Her cousin Becky Pentland described her as a world of fun. Others still fondly recall her as a very loving person. That memory is still vivid in her daughter Kira's mind. She was the kind of person that would do anything for anybody, um, give you the shirt off of her back. If anyone marched to the beat of their own drum, it was Mary. In one moment, she was embracing her femininity through fashion and makeup. In the next, she was gunning a four-wheeler over the hills of her hometown, beautiful and brash all at once. She was born Mary Elizabeth Sport on February 22, 1963, to Russell and Elizabeth Sport. Her mother Elizabeth's second marriage was to David Morgan. He was just what Elizabeth and Mary needed, a loving husband and father figure. It wasn't long before David became her adoptive dad. Yeah, she'd never really had much of a relationship with her 
biological father. The last time we saw him was the year before she passed away. But before that, it was maybe a handful of times um, throughout her life. David had adopted her when she was four. Mary grew up as a farm kid who loved the outdoors, fishing, and school athletics like basketball. Her father, David, remembers his daughter as a tender-hearted person who didn't like to see others being taken advantage of or bullied. But he also recalls Mary as someone who had trouble containing her fiery temper. She was a lot like me, David said. She'd fight you in a holy minute, but she'd do anything in the world for you. Mary blossomed into womanhood early, and much to her mother's worry, she began attracting unwanted male attention. Elizabeth says Mary was cursed by being too pretty too soon, and she was too young to make wise decisions and too stubborn to let her parents shield her. That misguided willfulness led to Mary dropping out of school in the eighth grade. Just a few years later, she would find herself married to her first husband, Ricky Tidwell, and then pregnant with her first daughter, Kira. She didn't pick the most loving men in her life. The first husband, which is my dad, she married at 15. They were divorced by the time she was 16. The marriage to Ricky disintegrated as quickly as it began, and another one soon followed to second husband, Tim Allen. Tim and Mary also had a child, Kira's younger half-sister, Amber. After several rocky years, Tim and Mary parted ways, and Mary met and wedded her third and final husband, Stan Pewitt. And then her last husband was quite a bit older than her. I want to say at least at least 15 years older to her, maybe 20. He had a little bit of money, but was a drunk. While they never divorced, Mary and Stan were separated at the time of her death. The failed relationships came and went, but Mary's dedication to her two daughters was unbreakable. In a way, because of her youth, Mary was more like a sister to the children than a mom another playmate her daughters could tag along with and pass the time. Kira has fond memories of those days. Our house backed up to a school, and I remember there was a big merry-go-round back there. Of course, that doesn't exist anymore on most playgrounds, but um, she would sit there and she would push us and push us until we were like begging her to stop. Money was always tight, but Mary found ways to create happy memories for her girls. Like their last Christmas together. Mary bought popcorn and cranberries and stayed up all night decorating the bare branches of their Christmas tree. Kira remembers waking up the next morning to something resembling a beautiful Christmas fairy tale. And then there was that vacation they took the year before Mary died, a memory her daughters still cherish to this day. The threesome drove west to California so that Mary could meet her biological father, Russell Sport, for the first time. That trip included a visit to San Diego, then up to the Redwood Forest, and even a jaunt down to Mexico where Mary bought Mexican dresses and other souvenirs for her daughters. Back home in Comanche, Mary worked hard to keep a job and put food on the table for her girls. For a while, she was employed at a nursing home, but an unforeseen accident left Mary partially disabled. While she was trying to lift an obese Alzheimer's patient from bed, the patient fell on Mary, crushing her and causing a severe back injury. Whether it was short-staffed or my mom thought she could do it on her own, I'm not sure. But the patient ended up falling on her. And that happened roughly fall of 87. And February of 88, um, she ended up having numerous back surgeries from that event. This wasn't the first health issue for Mary. 
She'd been plagued by them throughout her adult life. By the time she was 25, Mary had had approximately seven surgeries, including a hysterectomy. Mary rebounded from the nursing home mishap and landed a job as a bartender at Harold's Club, Comanche's one and only lounge. This wasn't exactly Mary's ideal choice for her career, but it was a way to make ends meet and earn money for a personal dream she'd recently put into action. Mary started attending beauty classes. For the first time in a long time, her life was beginning to feel purposeful. She knew she was going to get a settlement from the workmen's comp situation. She had talked about going back to school. And it just seemed like, for once, things were headed in the right direction. And then the unimaginable happened. On the morning of June 4th, 1988, Mary's daughters, Kara and Amber, were with Elizabeth and David, Mary's parents. The girls had stayed the night with their grandparents, but it was time for them to go home so that Elizabeth could join her friends at a weekly Weight Watchers meeting. Everyone piled into the car, and Elizabeth drove the 20 or so miles to town to deliver the girls at Mary's doorstep. They had barely pulled into the driveway when Kira and Amber jumped out of the Toyota, rushed to the house, excited to be home and anxious to see their mom. They knocked repeatedly on the front door, but Mary didn't answer. Kira remembers that morning well. My grandma had a gray Toyota hatchback car. And I remember we pulled in. My sister and I were trying to race to the front door to be the first ones inside. And the door was locked. You know, which wouldn't have been abnormal, I guess. Assuming their mom was still in bed after a long night at work, the girls ran to the side of the house to the three-pane window of Mary's bedroom. Kara helped her younger sister up onto a brick planter, and Amber peered through the glass, shadows stretching across her mother's room in the early morning light. What she saw was something no child should ever have to witness. Mary was lying in bed drenched in her own blood. There was no question that she'd been violently murdered. The previous day on June 3rd, Mary left Kira and Amber at David and Elizabeth's house. She had to work the closing shift at Harold's Club. The doting grandparents were always happy to spend time with the girls, and it was especially sweet because it was the first time Mary had seen her mom in a while. The two had been estranged after a bitter argument. Mary felt her mom had been interfering a little too much in her life lately. But to some degree, Elizabeth felt entitled to give Mary guidance, especially after how much support they'd given her. David and Elizabeth purchased Mary's house for her and even loaned her money multiple times. Still, all the attention from her mom had boiled over for Mary, who just wanted to be more independent and live her own life, especially now that she was newly separated from Stan Pewitt. Thankfully, when Mary dropped off the girls that afternoon, she and her mom were in forgiving moods, and they were able to put the argument behind them. As Mary got into her car and pulled away from the house, relief washed over Elizabeth. Watching the taillights disappear down the road, she was happy that she and Mary had had such a great visit and set things right. Little did Elizabeth know that it was the last time she would ever see her daughter alive. That evening around six o'clock, Mary went to her bartending job at Harold's Club. Just another night behind the bar, slinging drinks for the lounge's boozy regulars. Shortly before midnight, Mary declared last call, ushering the last of the patrons out into the night. She wrapped up her shift, collected the day's receipts and earnings, and delivered them to the owner who lived a short distance from the lounge. 
five miles away at most. This was the usual protocol for the closing bartender. And so far, a typical night for Mary at her new job. We know for sure that the bar closed at 12. My understanding is it wasn't a very long thing. It was pretty much drop it off and headed home. We know she probably arrived home at about 12, 20, 12, 30. What happened after that? The events that occurred in the small window of time after Mary arrived home from her shift at Harold's Club varied, depending on who you asked. There was the woman driving her car down Mary's street shortly after midnight, who says she saw Mary yelling at a man, presumably Mary's latest boyfriend, Randy Benson. The motorist said that she saw him standing at the driver's side door of a truck while Mary ranted. There was the next-door neighbor who, closer to 1 a.m., saw a woman getting out of a truck outside of Mary's home. He said it may or may not have been Mary. He was never sure. And then there was Randy Benson, who said he'd met Mary at her house after work. They watched some TV together, and then Randy said he'd left before 1 a.m. If an argument had occurred between the two of them, Randy never mentioned it. What we do know for sure is that sometime in the early hours of June 4th, between 1 a.m. and 6 a.m., a person entered Mary's home and there was some kind of argument or fight. The evidence suggests that a struggle began in the living room, moved out into the hallway, and finally ended in Mary's bedroom, where blood was shed. After discovering Mary's body, her mother Elizabeth called the police and sent the girls across the street to the neighbor's house. Comanche police and Stevens County deputies rushed to Mary's home, taped off the crime scene, and began trying to make sense of the violent chaos. Mary died on her waterbed, dressed in only a t-shirt and socks. She had been stabbed more than 30 times in the neck and upper chest, and she had defensive lacerations on her hands and arms. The rubber mattress suffered multiple gashes as well, water slowly leaking out and pooling around Mary's body in the hours after the vicious attack. It's notable to mention an autopsy later revealed there were no signs of sexual assault. The savagery of this murder and the lack of sexual motive suggests that the killing was personal. It's likely that Mary died at the hands of someone she knew, and probably knew well. The killer even pulled a sheet over her body before they left the crime scene. Another clue that reinforced investigators' known attacker theory was the lack of any sign of forced entry. In fact, the home had been secured after Mary was murdered. Windows were shut, doors were locked, and even a side door that had previously been held together by a bungee cord was closed. The makeshift contraption still as tightly intact as it had always been. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. 
On top of all that, you can connect with customers inline and online because Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools that are built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash murder diaries, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash murder diaries to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash murder diaries. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It was clear now to authorities on the scene that the killer probably knew the home, knew how to get in and out, and was almost certainly familiar with the victim. Investigators canvassed the neighborhood for more clues, which led them to the eyewitnesses we talked about earlier, the neighbor and the passing motorist. We know now that there was a lady that drove by. My mother is seen on the porch of our house, and her boyfriend, Randy Benson, is seen at his car door. The lady said she knew it was him because the dome light of the car was on and she could see see him. The woman driving past Mary's house was an EMT, just off the clock after finishing up her own late shift, on her way to pick up her kids from a babysitter who lived a couple houses away. She told investigators that the sounds of the argument continued to echo up the street even after she arrived at the babysitter's driveway. They could still hear them arguing. And then they probably she probably left the babysitters roughly 15 minutes later. And there is no car at my mom's house other than my mom's, and it is quiet. The neighbor who saw Mary that night was Jeff Arnold. He and his wife lived next door and had just returned home from a trip to Colorado, so they were up late. When he heard his dogs barking outside, Jeff went to his porch to check out the commotion. That's when he noticed a truck on the street in front of Mary's house facing the wrong direction toward the oncoming lane. A pickup pulled up to the house who I assumed was her, Jeff said years later. I saw a female get out and go to the house. I assumed it was her, but it was dark and I couldn't tell. Comanche police and Stevens County's deputies worked the crime scene. They dusted for fingerprints, collected forensic evidence, including cigarettes, beer cans, and hair, and took photographs throughout Mary's home. All of this was turned over to the OSBI, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. But there was another crucial piece of evidence that was found. A sample of what might be the killer's DNA. The next step in the case was determining who had personal relationships with Mary, especially any boyfriends or husbands. Local law enforcement, along with the district attorney's investigators, chased down every single lead they could get their hands on. Because Randy Benson was Mary's current boyfriend, and one of the last people to see Mary alive, he immediately became the first person of interest early in the investigation. Randy and Mary had been dating for several weeks at the time of her murder, 
So it wasn't a surprise when, after word spread about her death that morning, he joined the throng of neighbors, family, police, and reporters outside Mary's house. He immediately complied with investigators, willingly going down to Comanche Police Headquarters to be interviewed. Randy maintained that the night she was killed, he met Mary at her house around 12.45 a.m., and they watched TV together. He didn't stay long because he promised his 11-year-old son that he would come home and play video games with him. Randy's mother and son provided an alibi that loosely fit that story. But that doesn't match the story Randy told Mary's daughter, Kira, many years later. Randy told her, I keep thinking I should have stayed. My son said, be here at midnight, and I promised him I would. I left Mary's at 11.50 and sped home and got home exactly midnight. This more recent midnight promise story is inconsistent with what he told investigators in 1988. Off by almost an hour, Randy originally said he'd watch TV with Mary until 12.45 a.m. It also doesn't match Mary's movements that night. She didn't leave work until after midnight. So there's no way she and Randy would have been at her home before then watching TV together. The question remains, did Randy Benson leave to go home to his son at 11.50 p.m. or 12.45 a.m.? Did he even leave Mary's house at all? These are questions that we'll never have answers to. Randy Benson has since died. Investigators also looked into Mary's first husband, Ricky Tidwell. Mary's father, David, reported seeing Ricky pull up outside Mary's home a night or two before Mary had been killed. But Ricky Tidwell had someone to account for his whereabouts. His mother told authorities that he'd been out of town the night Mary died. Investigators then turned their focus to Mary's current husband, Stan Pewitt, from whom she'd been recently separated. Mary's parents, Elizabeth and David, told investigators that Stan had been physically abusive with Mary during their marriage, once giving her a black eye when an argument escalated. But Stan had the ultimate alibi. He'd been in jail the night Mary was killed, behind bars for allegedly stealing $3,500 worth of personal property from Mary's parents. Now, remember Mary's second husband, Tim Allen? It's significant to know that he and Mary were involved in a turbulent child custody battle at the time of Mary's death, one that involved a monetary payout that Tim, and especially his new wife, Lynn, didn't want to foot the bill for. What's more, Tim and Mary's marriage had been fraught with dysfunction and tumultuous domestic abuse. Here's what Mary's daughter, Kira, had to say about that. It was a very abusive relationship on both sides. I don't want to say it was one-sided. It was It was not. My mom, if you hit her, she was going to hit you back. Tim himself later commented in an interview with the Oklahoman, she had a pretty good temper. She wouldn't mind popping me. Even after the marriage fractured, there were multiple physical assaults that involved Mary, Tim, and Tim's wife, Lynn. The worst of which happened just two short weeks before Mary was murdered. Police reports from a late May 1988 run-in allege that Tim and Lynn beat up Mary in her backyard, a dispute in which weapons were later used inside the home. Lynn is very uh, headstrong and decided to barrel her way into our house that weekend. We were in the living room. Lynn had pulled a small gun on my mom, and they had backed her into a corner in the kitchen. The girls watched helplessly as the violence unfolded, Tim aggressively confronting Mary. 
Kira says, Tim had her backed into a corner and she reached for an ice pick and stabbed him. Could this altercation have been the catalyst for Mary's murder? Was her death Tim Allen's rage-fueled revenge? I believe that whatever happened to my mom was very personal. Someone else authorities had a close eye on was Don Allen Jr., Tim Allen's brother. A repeat offender for drug possession and trafficking, he was high on the list of suspects in this case because of an alleged drug run he says he took with Mary shortly before her death. Allen Jr.'s story is that he put the run together and that he and Mary, along with several other unknown men, drove to Texas to acquire drugs and bring them back to Oklahoma. According to Allen Jr., Mary kept the drugs, and he had no idea what she did with them. I don't know who she was involved with, he said. But isn't it curious that someone connected to Mary for something as risky as an interstate drug run didn't really know much about why the trip was being made or even where the drugs were going after the fact? What's more, Alan Jr. couldn't say exactly where he was the night of Mary's murder. He says he was in Wawrika, a small community 15 miles from Comanche. And he conveniently couldn't remember why. Kira claims to this day that the drug angle is misinformation. She refuses to believe that's who her mother was. Someone who'd fallen in with the wrong crowd. A lot of people had assumed that she was some huge drug addict. With anything, there's always rumors. You know, supposedly she was bringing in tons of meth into Comanche and everything else. And, you know, that's that's who had to have done it because it had to be somebody bad or whatever. And there was nothing in her autopsy report at all. There is some pain medication, which she was taking for a back injury, but it wasn't even like a full dose of medication. There was no alcohol found in her system, and she worked in a bar that night. Mary had been employed at Harold's Club for just three short weeks when she was murdered. But when you work as a bartender at the only bar in town, you're bound to run into all kinds of folks, friendly regulars, random strangers, even the occasional angry drunk. So it's only natural to assume that Mary met and became friendly with many people who frequented Harold's Club during her brief employment. She might have even become the target of the drunken affection of some men she served. But it's a slim likelihood that any of these people were Mary's murderer. What happened to Mary seemed far too gruesomely personal. Still, investigators continued to follow all available trails. There was no shortage of curious leads, people of interest, or suspicious characters. Special Agent Homer of the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation told the Oklahoman that there's probably too many suspects. In every scenario he runs through his head, he says he can match a suspect. Homer went on to say, but a knife is very personal. To stab someone and watch them bleed and basically slash them and cause their death, that's a very personal, rage-induced crime. Anyone's capable of murder, Mary's father David once said. Anyone in this town is capable of murder. For years after her death, David Morgan passionately pursued the truth about what really happened to his adopted daughter. You might even have called it an obsession. His wife Elizabeth mentioned that David changed after Mary died, that he became bitter and cynical at the thought of her killer walking free. Like David, Kira's also angry and driven to know the truth. My grandpa was the one person that 
I could go to and I could get some answers. Very matter of fact. And the older I got, the more he felt comfortable talking to me about it. In retirement, David Morgan earned a degree in criminal justice in hopes of using it as a tool to help solve the mystery of Mary's murder. Investigators had long since given up on her, but David Morgan never did. A parent's responsibility doesn't end in death, David said. I found that out. You gotta keep plugging. So David kept investigating, going back to decades-old evidence on a lonely quest for parental justice. He dedicated the rest of his life trying to keep her case alive, to find the answer to the question that haunted him most. Who killed his daughter? That day and that answer never came for David Morgan. He died in 2011. Mary's mother, Elizabeth, gave up hope for answers long before David did. In fact, the very thought of what happened to Mary and who was responsible for her death became something that she could no longer bear. Elizabeth wanted to be done with the news stories and the publicity to put it all in God's hands, to unburden her heart of the hate for the person who took Mary away from her. Doing otherwise must have seemed futile to Elizabeth. It would only have served to heap more misery upon misery. Elizabeth Morgan would ultimately find a sad kind of peace. A tragic way of putting it all to rest. She succumbed to Alzheimer's disease. But Kira hasn't given up the fight for justice for her mother. In 2014, she turned to social media to help find Mary's killer and even began a petition to have the case reassigned and reopened. Kira created a Facebook account that is still active today and has nearly 1,000 followers. This page is updated on a regular basis, and as recently as May of 2021, Kira announced that a new special agent with the OSBI was assigned to Mary's case. We have an amazing OSBI agent who was assigned to us about three years ago, and I believe with all my heart, if anybody can figure this out, it, it will be him. In that clip, Kira is talking about OSBI agent Joe Kimmins, the active agent on the case for the last two years. Search warrants for the DNA that was discovered and filed the day of the crime, as well as additional prints, have been served in Texas as recently as May of 2023. This is a quick note to our listeners. After we recorded the episode just a couple of days before today's release, Agent Joe Kimmins retired. OSBI agent Lindsay Adamson has since taken over Mary's case. Her email is lindsay.adamson at osbi.ok.gov. That's Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y dot Adamson, A-D-A-M-S-O-N at O-S-B-I dot O-K dot gov. Finally, there seems to be some renewed momentum to thaw a decades-long cold case that Kira's been desperate to solve. The murder of a vibrant young mother in the prime of her life is tragic. That the crime still goes unsolved to this day makes it even more desperately frustrating and sad. Closure matters, especially for the friends and loved ones left behind with so many unanswered questions. Mary Pewitt's killer could be anyone, some stranger who rolled into town more than 35 years ago to commit a random thrill kill and then disappear for good into the sweltering Oklahoma night. Or worse, and most plausibly, the person who murdered Mary Pewitt is someone she probably knew in a very personal way the killer could still be living among the locals of Comanche right now. 
idling next to them at a traffic light, sitting beside them on a church pew, handing a receipt to them at a local business. Harold's Club is no longer open today, but Comanche has another watering hole in its place. Maybe the killer drops by there every now and then for a beer or two. Until the murder is solved, we'll never know any of this. But what we do know is the story of Mary herself. And it feels very familiar. Because she was like any one of us. A person. A daughter. A lover. A spouse. A parent. Someone who was cherished by family despite her troubles and flaws. Her adoptive father, David Morgan, may have said it best. She was good and she was bad. She was just human. She was Mary Morgan Pewitt. As of the recording of this podcast episode, Mary Pewitt's case remains Comanche, Oklahoma's one and only unsolved homicide. We encourage you, each and every one of our listeners, to go to the Mary Morgan Pewitt Facebook page. You can follow it at facebook.com slash justice for Mary Morgan. If you or anyone you know has information about Mary's death, call 1-800-522-8017. That's 1-800-522-8017. Or you can submit a tip online by emailing tips.osbi.ok.gov. You can do so anonymously. The Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation is offering a $10,000 reward for information that leads to the killer of Mary Pewitt. Make sure you follow us on all of our socials at the Murder Diaries pod. And remember, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.